0: Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Did you know that leaving a review and a rating helps others to find our podcast? Would you mind leaving us a review today? Using your podcast platform, go to our show and leave a rating along with a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Now on to our episode.
1: We have to come back to the gospel ultimately, right? Right. And the gospel transforms lives, and right. lives transforms cultures. And I think the danger is is when we go and say, "Let's transform culture," and not think about how the gospel transforms one heart, one family, uh, one community at a time. And yeah. if we get that reversed, we're going to find ourselves in a lot of trouble.
0: How should Christians engage with culture? Are we to see culture as good or bad or a mix of both or neither? How do we view our jobs, our politics, how we raise our children, entertainment? Should we run and hide in the mountains in communes? Should we ignore the general culture, interact with it, and to what degree? So many questions that Christians wrestle with, on an everyday basis. In 1951, Richard Niebuhr, an ethics professor from Yale Divinity School, wrote a book called Christ and Culture, in which he describes five models of how Christians engage with culture. The book has been massively successful for over 70 years and has helped many Christians understand some of the major forms of how the Christian life has been lived out within the societies and cultures in the past and even to our present day. Today, my guests are Jeff Falkowski and Zach Cardin. Together, we examine the five models from Niebuhr, and we discuss each one's strengths and weaknesses. We hope this episode encourages you to take a deeper look into your culture and the lens through which Christ is seen, even as you ask yourself, how do I engage Christ in my culture? Jeff Falkowski and Zach Cardin are both pastors with me here at the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, Georgia. Jeff is a graduate of the University of Georgia and Bethel Seminary. He is the Director of Young Families and Discipleship at the Church of the Apostles. He and his wife, Gwen, have three grown children. Zach is a graduate of the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, and Covenant Seminary. He and his wife, Tennyson, have four grown children. Now, on to this week's Candid Conversation. What we're talking about today and what we're thinking about today is what does it look like to live out the Christian life? How do we engage with culture as believers? Central to this conversation, we've all discussed, a book we've all read, which is called Christ in Culture by Richard Niebuhr. Uh, which I think was actually a collection of his recordings, uh, lectures that he gave. Five approaches, five categories to how you see Christ's relation to culture and therefore how the Christian relates to culture. And we can go into these later, but Christ against culture, Christ of culture, Christ above culture, Christ in culture and paradox, Christ the transformer of culture. So why don't we just kick it off? What are sort of some of your opening thoughts as we begin this conversation?
1: Well, the reality is, is we live and breathe and swim in culture. So we need to think about it in such a way where we understand where our swimming pool is per se, right? Yeah. What it is, what's out there, and then understand what is a biblical understanding of culture. How has God created culture in such a way to honor and glorify him? And how are we living in such a way within our culture where it is honoring and glorifying him. And how are we supporting that? And, and how are we walking in such a way where the culture is not necessarily honoring and glorifying him, but God did create culture. so
0: Because I think at the core of this is really that all believers want to do the right thing. We want to do what Christ has called us to. There's probably an infinite number of views or, or categories that you could nuance out but there's such a diversity of, of how this could be played out. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that throughout the history of the church. I mean, even in our church here, you'll see people who come from different backgrounds in terms of their view of how they relate to culture. And yet the beauty is that we're actually able all able to, to come together and worship together and, and praise the same Christ together and still have different views mm-hmm. of this. So I don't know if there's necessarily a silver
2: bullet answer to this. Um, some will be more helpful than others for sure. Um, it's interesting that the exercise here would be to really, to be intentional about thinking mm. through those categories or those approaches, because yes. that's, I believe we by default have those approaches or actually just a potpourri of yes. those approaches yeah, I think that so, we too. really haven't thought out, that we yeah. just kind of a knee jerk reaction to. I remember when I became a Christian, I used to love listening to classic rock mm-hmm. And once I became a Christian, I really believed that I was supposed to replace my entire collection of classic rock with yeah. Christian music, and I did that. And you went to
1: conferences where they told you you needed to do that, and then they sold the <laughs> alternative Christian. Well,
0: well, yeah, it's true. the conference is like the eternal thing that's trying to give you a model that they think is the right
2: model. Well, right? you know, The question is, are Christians called to replace everything with a Christian version of the thing? you know, that came before Mm -hmm. and some people would hold that. I, I have come full circle on that learning to appreciate artists and artistry and uh, music and art and and singers and songwriters, et cetera, et cetera, for their, their contributions to culture, to uh, history, uh, et cetera. You don't just throw it all out. No common grace, right?
1: You know, God created culture. There's common grace in culture that, can reveal God. And there's right. fallen culture mm-hmm. that has fallen away from its creator that does not reveal God. And so, yes, there's, there's lots of music out there through artists that don't know God, that don't have a redeeming relationship with God yet. Mm-hmm. And yet they have a message that resonates uh, with God's common grace about humanity and the struggles yeah. of human So Isn't
0: that funny? I even think about, you know, in teaching through Genesis and thinking about the tower of Babel, you know, there's nothing wrong about building a gigantic structure, but it was the heart attitude of seeing themselves as superior to God or building this tower to God. You know, that Mm -hmm. it's that heart mentality is what brings God to come down and judge the people. There's beauty in architecture and shapes and forms. I mean, he's given us those things to appreciate and enjoy because they are small reflections of him in some sense. And so but I think sometimes you, you, we get into that camp of wanting to just throw it all out and say, right.
2: you know. Well, and then you also get into the camp of, for example, politics is probably what we think of the most. Right. Yeah. Uh, I hear a lot of Christians say that uh, Christians should not be teaching on politics or they shouldn't be involved in politics. You know, that's interesting because in most other respects of their life, they don't hold to that same approach. Right. So I think it's a good exercise for us to to see if, there, if there's continuity to how we approach the culture. It's a good heart test. It's a good challenge to us to kind of really think through.
0: When I first read this book, I don't think I saw the sort of delineation between these worldviews. I think I saw some smattering of them, but I wouldn't have been able to verbalize or articulate these things until I read it. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is. Right. This is profound. So I, my hope is that those of you that are listening to this will see clarity coming out of it. And then you'll look at things very differently, perhaps through this prism, even uh, in the way that you run your family, in the way that you consume news media, in the way that you consider your political affiliations, etc., cetera, um, the way that you look at the world, essentially. OK, so Niebuhr's first model is what we call Christ against culture. Uh, And I just have a short blurb I'll I'll read out so that we have a, a clear understanding. So in the Christ against culture model, culture outside of the church is seen as corrupted beyond repair. Christians should avoid, reject, and separate from culture. Niebuhr indicates that Tertullian and Leo Tolstoy had views that aligned with this model. Ideally, these Christians look to create a pure Christian culture apart from the culture of the world around them. One modern example would be the Mennonite and the Amish communities. So I think we all now have a visual idea of this mentality. And yet there are lesser degrees of this mentality that we see in the church and in the world and
2: um, taking place. But It's me replacing all of my music with Christian versions of those things. I was a big Beatles fan. There was a, a singer back in the day that had a, he sounded just like Paul McCartney, who was a Christian <laughs> guitarist, and he was my you know Christian Beatles. You know, it's it's so we yeah. we're not necessarily to the degree of of the Amish or Mennonites, right. but we do have degrees in which we have thrown stuff out, and so we're going to do a Christian version of that. And what's interesting about that, though, at certain times and certain degrees, maybe some of that is necessary. Yeah, right. Even thinking about some of
0: the VBS curriculum that you've put together, I mean, a lot of that is borrowed concepts from general cultural things, but you brought it in and it instructs children in something that they are familiar with through a Christian
2: biblical prism framework that helps them connect all the dots. Let me give you an example from the arts. More and more because of transgenderism, roles that went originally to women say in the dance world right. are now going to men and it's, it's already started. Mm. So at what point, at what point does a Christian say I can or cannot take part in this anymore? Mm, yes. Good. And so I think that there does come a point where you know, there's an ebb and flow. Are you doing, you know, say, are you dancing the nutcracker? Is there anything particularly wrong with dancing the nutcracker? Right. I would say no. I, th- I think at that point it's a very good thing to engage in, and to, to be part of that world and show Christians can do those things. But what happens when uh, the Sugar Plum fairy is now a man? Mm-hmm. At that point, this is where the stuff becomes real. Yeah. Right. Do I stay in influence mm-hmm. yes. or do I leave because my participation is basically saying this is okay, mm-hmm. that I don't see anything wrong with this? Or do you stay and say, well, they don't understand this is wrong. They have no comprehension that yeah. this is wrong. Right, Uh, And so I stay to influence, love, and and care for those who are involved in in this. And people will go to war over this issue. They will. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Because one side's right or wrong, and they fight over that.
0: And I don't know if this is the right model for us to bring it up, but I even think about the issue of, what about a a homosexual marriage? Mm -hmm. And you've been invited to attend this. What do you do?
2: Right.
1: Uh, I know uh, specific situations related to that, and you know where there's a friend of mine was invited to a wedding and made the decision uh, not to go because he felt it was a tacit celebration. Mm-hmm. However, uh, although he did not attend the wedding ceremony, he kept the relationship right with these men going. Sure, and it was because there was a great relationship already established and. Right they were able to keep that relationship going despite him not celebrating that specific union. So uh, that, I felt that was a good way, healthy way of navigating a course in that situation. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Multiple examples of, of, of that. Now I think it's, we've lived in a relative ease in a sense of not really being able to have to really think about yes. our views of how we engage culture. Now it's just sort of at our front doorstep. These are not questions that we ever grew up asking. Do I go to a homosexual wedding? Do I participate in a, right. a with, with a system that I, I don't believe in, et cetera. And we're starting to see the
0: fault lines fall on generational divides too, mm-hmm. which sure. is interesting that you bring that up because there's a generation that never had to f- confront this or deal with this. But mm-hmm. then now you have a, a younger generation who is having to deal with it, that their friends yeah. are getting married in this capacity. Yeah. And the older generation says one thing and they think another thing. And so but there's no real helpful conversation around this. And so it ends up with bitterness across generations with people who actually even agree with each other.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head there, Jonathan, because so doctrinally you can agree with the basic tenets of the Christian faith. You can hold to the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. But these cultural issues can divide, and it shouldn't be that way. Right. That's the biggest struggle I see, particularly in the evangelical church. And so you might have a community of faith where you have some older members of the congregation who would say Christ is against mm, certain right. political institutions like Black Lives Matter or LGBT, how, however, LGBT LGBTQ and plus and plus. so on and so forth, and Christ is against these various things but then embrace something on the other side of the fence like Christian nationalism. And then you have the younger generation saying, well, hey, you're making these claims about these institutions, but yet you're unwilling
2: to critique the ones that seem to fit your culture. Right. right. And that's the thing that, that Christianity should be liberating us to, is should be liberating us to a greater discernment of, of things, even though they may be near and dear to us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good point it's one thing to talk about not participating with the culture. As you're saying, it's one thing to talk about not participating with the culture. I don't agree with. It's quite another thing to be in a culture that perpetuates things that I shouldn't agree with. It's good. So that's where, you know, the rubber meets the road. And I think that you're seeing a, a generation millennial down to Gen Z that has seen a lot of the, for lack of a better word, um, fundamentalistic style opposition, the boycotts, the the canceling, the, all that, that was done. Uh, and now they view that with some skepticism and it's, it's almost, there's a burnout, uh, that that's not how they approach things. There's a whole lot more, I think compartmentalization that can go on in younger generations. They're able to kind of say, yeah, but this is one thing, but I I, I don't agree with that, but I'm still going to be present and do mm-hmm. this and that thing. Where older generations tend to be a little bit, cut you know, dry. more black and white kind yeah. of dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got Gen Xers who kind of can go both ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, they feel that tension from the younger crowd um, because they did grow up under that more fundamentalist type situation, but they also... They don't want to jettison these truths. There are some black and whites. So it's not very cut and dried, but it it, it has led to a a kind of a, a bit of a chaos amongst how generations in general respond to things. Let's do the next one, which
0: is kind of the polar opposite, which is Christ of culture. In the Christ of culture model, culture is seen as inherently good and without any conflict to Christian truth. Proponents of this view attempt to view Christian truths equally to cultural truths. In reality, though, cultural values generally outweigh the values of Christianity. Niebuhr cites classic Gnosticism and liberal Protestantism as holders of this view. Now, we see this quite a lot where if you were to drive through any large metropolitan area, You'll probably find a church with a rainbow flag flying sure. yeah. prominently yeah. outside of its doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly, right. the culture there has superseded the Christian value there. Right? Um, well, they read
1: the they read the Bible through the lens of culture. Yes, or the prevailing culture,
0: right. that surrounds
1: them. Right. So the yeah. the dominant culture begins to be the lens by which they read the Bible. Right. It's an easy thing to do.
2: That's seen often. Often, well, I mean, if, if the Christ against culture are, are the Essenes, the people back in the day of, of yeah. Jesus that separated mm-hmm. themselves from society mm-hmm. and went up to Masada, just right? Completely, yes, completely themselves, completely got themselves away from society. Christ of culture would be they would be the Sadducees. Yes, They'd be the people right. who well, had like the strong religious man. convictions, yeah. but they were accommodating to Roman occupation. In some aspects, they were very much materialistic. I mean that in the spiritual sense mm-hmm. that they didn't believe in the resurrection, right. not necessarily in the heaven. Right. So there are some correlations there, and I, I think that it can be very easy to for Christ of culture to become just cultural accommodation, and uh, very easy to respond to the more fundamentalist way or the more you know the old school way of doing things and then swing completely the other way and just be accommodating of of all sorts of of things and do that under the banner of love. That's typically how it's done. Of course is it's done under the banner of loving accommodation. It's interesting. I mean,
0: if I had to relabel this one, I think I would just call it culture is King. Mm, But if you think about it, we're interpreting that through the culture that we're in right now. But as we discussed earlier, there would have been other, cultural paradigms that you would have been growing up in in the you know, First century Israel. Or, well, Holy, you know? The Holy
2: Roman Empire, <laughs> right? I mean, Yes. As Mike Myers would say, uh, as, as his character is, neither Holy, nor Roman, nor an empire. Discuss. <laughs> um, but yeah, to, to, to view that as, this is God's kingdom. Right. Yeah. This is God's culture. Christendom. This is Christendom, yeah. So at some point, it wasn't a, a cultural accommodation. It was just we thought culture was king. Right. Right. It was Christendom. Yeah. And even sometimes, you know, I think some
1: of the struggle with the church or the evangelical church today is there was a time when culture was king in the sense of we didn't have Sunday businesses open. So it was a day of worship. I remember as a youth pastor back in the nineties, literally I was in a small County in North Georgia. They literally had athletic practices and other, Events cut short on Wednesday night so kids could go home wow, and eat right. dinner to go to youth group. Wow. This school that I primarily served at the time literally did not allow teachers to have tests on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And one of my youth complained because the teacher did schedule a test, and I said, Go talk to your principal about it, and they did, and that teacher was reprimanded for having a test on Thursday morning. Wow. So you can see that the culture at that time was very favorable towards the church. And so that was a lens that, that we lived in for a season and Mm -hmm. we've lost that lens now. And I think um, we're
0: struggling to get that back. Okay. But so, so then is it that we should strive to get that back?
1: I don't think so because here's the thing, we have to come back to the gospel ultimately. Right. Right. And the gospel transforms lives and lives transforms cultures. And I think the danger is, is when we go and say, let's transform culture And not think about how the gospel transforms one heart, one family, uh, one community at a time. And if we get that reversed, I think we're going to find ourselves in a lot of
2: trouble. It can be very uh, tempting to say Mayberry is the kingdom. But how many times did you watch the Andy Griffith show and they are actually talking about Christ and exalting him?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, it's, it's not sanctified it's, somehow. It's, yeah. Pure, it's not, not, that's not the right word, but, but it's, it's uh, kind of washed up and cleaned up. Yes. Right. And so we think moralism. a moral world is a right world, but a moral world doesn't scream the gospel. Yeah. I mean, in the way that a very fallen world
2: does. My wife took a trip out to Salt Lake city with my daughter, 13th birthday. They went out to Utah and she remarked, how obedient they were in Salt Lake. They were so courteous to the, the driving laws and, and just courteous, nice people. I've worked with a lot of Mormons that are very nice people. It doesn't mean right. that they know the gospel. Right. right. And, and that's a, there's a danger in that. There is a danger yes. Assuming
0: that the nice person knows, understands, and puts their trust in Christ. Right. We can build our own Tower of Babel to come
1: back to what you started with. Yeah, like. yeah, we don't need yeah. God. We'll build our own moral Isn't that Um, interesting? Tower.
0: Let's keep plugging along here. We're up to number three. So Christ above culture. In the Christ above culture model, culture is seen as basically good, uh, just as Christ of culture was. However, Christian revelation is required to best explain and perfect those cultural expressions. Niebuhr points to church fathers like Thomas Aquinas with his belief in combining reason with revelation as proponents of this view. The Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches tend to fall into this view as well. This model can lead to the institutionalization of Christianity through finite and materialistic expressions. Discuss.
2: I think of Christian Platonism when I think of this. Like, so in some cases I love him. I love C.S. Lewis. So don't get me wrong here. Sometimes when you read C.S. Lewis, his love of the classics, his love of Platonism, it bleeds through. There's a sense in which, Lewis, at some points, is Christ above culture Uh in his appreciation of the classics. I mean, you read Narnia, he brings Dionysus into the Chronicles of Narnia. And I think that just owes to the kind of the older model where you saw many of the early church fathers bring in Platonism into things and interpreting Scripture through the light of Plato versus interpreting life through the light of Scripture. Clarify that for... People listening, okay. So let me go into my old philosophy. <laughs> let me get my, my right. old philosophy hat on. You know, Plato and his world of forms. The ideal is the ethereal. Mm-hmm. You know, the spiritual. That can look like it can fit. So you can read Hebrews and, and you can read about the that how everything is a copy. The, the, yes, the, right, of the, the temple, or the eternal, yep. the eternal temple. Right. And you can read some Platonism into that. Mm. When in actuality, the resurrection itself it stands in the face of christian platonism mm. because those who were inheritors of plato and socrates very much were opposed to the physical form or the you know flesh and they eschewed the carnal and said you know they, they even came to the point of believing in a demiurge the, the god that created the world basically entombed spirit mm-hmm. in flesh and our goal is to leave the flesh and so what we've inherited from that is a sense that that life is all about going to heaven and uh, floating around like an angel, and that's the goal. Well, the goal is salvation in Christ, yes, but ultimately the goal is the resurrection. Like Christ came back from the dead. That, that's why the resurrection was a is a huge deal for the Greek world. That like, mm. they were. That's why they got angry because don't tell me that someone's going to come back and take their body back up again. Right. That's to them, last rise, yes. Right. yes. Right, right. But Platonism pushes us back towards the. It's just about heaven. It's not just about heaven. Heaven is part of the whole thing, mm-hmm. but the resurrection and the fact that we were going to be resurrected in Christ—that's mm-hmm. a huge deal. Yeah, and Platonism sort of dissolves that aspect of our faith. Could also the Christ above culture
1: affect our faith in such a way? I was thinking about Evander Holyfield writing, you know, Ephesians. Uh, 4.12, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know this. I remember one time he was boxing, I think, Michael Moore, and they said, how did you win or how did you win this mm-hmm. fight? I know he lost to Michael Moore, but I think he came back and, and beat him. He said, well, I was just spoken tongues the whole time. And so this idea that the Holy Spirit won the fight for him. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes maybe that Christ above culture can cause us to over-spiritualize, like you said, right. in many ways. Uh, I was a part of a church tradition where it was thought like, all Christians should be better than non-Christians in every field, in every sport, because we have the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And if we have the spirit, then we should be smarter than everybody else. We should be stronger than everybody else. We should be faster than everybody else. So it almost brought about this elitism in our mm-hmm. Christian faith in a very simplistic way. I think we see that in other stratospheres where people talk about we should have the best Movies, we should have the best. Music, we should have the best. I remember that was like a big thing in like the 90s, like we should be the best at everything. Mm -hmm. And um, it kind of takes away from the idea for me that that God has created all people in his image and that he has given gifts to all people to glorify him. And some people who are redeemed by the spirit know what they're doing and glorifying God. And other people are unaware that they are actually living out their lives in the Imago day in Mm. the way that they've been Mm. created. So I don't know if that's an application of it or not, but I just, that just kind of, as you were talking about the platonic idea, and I know that was coming to me, how that was such a prevalent thing. I think a lot of Christians today still think, you know, if we just get more spiritual, we'll be better and we'll be able to solve life's problems by Mm. becoming more spiritual.
2: Well, I think that the modern day is, and I'm not against this at all. At all. I mean, I th- I believe there are things like the light of reason. I think Aquinas did some great work. Sure. Um, I think you have to be careful what you equate with uh, biblical truth. I know that there's in counseling, there's the spoiling the Egyptians model that Larry Crabb made, made famous. That is you know, taking all that's best about psychotherapy and, you know, combining with Christianity. In some cases, there's been some good work in that. In some cases, it's not consistent. Right. So there's even modern day examples of okay let, we're going to perfect psychotherapy we're going to perfect this we're going to perfect that that's right, mm-hmm. what you're talking about mm-hmm. um, and in some cases I wouldn't say it's a bad thing but like with Christian Platonism you, you have to you have to be careful what you're kind of taking up with those things you know all truth is God's truth no matter where you find it I, mean, I know that Schaefer was a big proponent of you know take that kernel of truth and polish that gold up and leave the Rest behind, but sometimes we kind of take up everything mm. instead of uh, polishing it up and, and leaving the bad behind. You know?
0: Okay, the um, fourth model we come across is Christ and culture in paradox. In the Christ and culture in paradox model, there is a tension that is ever present between the Christian and their interaction with culture. Christians are forced to simultaneously live between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven by accepting some aspects of culture. And rejecting others. Niebuhr points to Martin Luther as an example of this. The tenets of this model, while more accurate in its description of how Christians experience the world, can lead to a more conservative engagement with culture. This one's certainly prevalent within a lot of evangelical churches today. Yeah. Well,
1: as a a baptized and confirmed Lutheran, uh, this was Martin Luther's view of culture. And uh, I think it flows really well with his view of the Eucharist, consubstantiation, you know. Right. So, um, but that being said, um, yeah, I think a lot of evangelical churches find themselves in this place. I think it's a lot healthier place than to be, than Christ against culture or Christ of culture. Right. Yeah. uh, There are certainly elements of culture that we are called to absolutely critique. And there's other elements of culture that we can say, yes, we can retrieve that that is good. And that is from God. So, Would this be described as uh, in the world, but not of it? Yeah, I think you can definitely. Yeah, there's certainly a tension there, right? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, a healthy thing. I mean, I think as Christians, we need to come to the point where we're like, yeah, this lines up with a biblical worldview. And this does not. And right. then the question becomes whether or not, I, I guess, who, who's the arbiter of what right, lines up with right. the world? Well, and I'm
0: wonder, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm wondering if it's, um, who's the ultimate authority here? So you either validate or invalidate something out of culture.
1: I think a strong biblical theology has to be your authority on that. And I right. think a lot of people cherry pick scriptures to become their authority on cultural issues. And you have to have a robust understanding of what the Bible talks about in terms of culture and and other things from Genesis to Revelation as opposed to cherry-picking Scripture. And I think that D.A. Carson in his book, Christ and Culture Revisited, draws that out a little
0: bit. (laughs) Just a quick plug for Carson. Carson's book, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate?
1: No, he just emphasizes that part of the issue is Niebuhr was not an evangelical. He did not have a high view of the Bible. He made some observations at a very static time of his history. Sure. Uh, he obviously saw the world in a very modernistic way and was able to draw strong categories where Carson says, hey, these categories are more on a continuum and it's based on your context. So I think we need to think more biblically about Christ and culture. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We covered the paradox. What kind yeah, of, I, that, I think it's a
1: it's paradox. Yeah. It's,
0: it's <laughs> are getting lost. It's, in it's hard to talk about a paradox <clears> because throat> of throat> the nature of it being a paradox. But I mean, the, the, I mean, the Christian life itself has a lot of paradoxical for sure. elements. Yeah. Um, so many things that we have to hold in tension. I mean, even doctrinal things that are held in tension. For sure. The, the you know, um, Christ's nature,
1: for example. Sure. Fully God, fully man. Yeah. yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. The sovereign election and free will. Yeah. There's tension in these
2: yeah. things. Yeah. Your citizenship is in heaven, but your citizenship is here as well. That's a tension as well. Um, And that's really hard. It's hard to navigate. That's one that this is really addressing,
0: I think, as well, that that imagery. Uh, And then we kind of land the plane here at Christ, the transformer of culture. In this final model, the Christian is seen as a conversionist, a person who seeks to transform the values and objectives of culture to the service and glory of God. Christ came to redeem all of creation, and as Christians, we are to participate in this redemptive work now while awaiting his coming kingdom. Niebuhr points to John Calvin and Augustine as holders of this view. It is the view traditionally held by Christians in the Reformed tradition. Hmm. And so we are in good company Yes, with this. This one actually has almost an application to right. the paradox view. Yes it's not just that I validate and invalidate what is good or bad. It is that even the bad, do we work in some category in some sense towards an end, right? So there's, there's an aspect of culture that
2: is clearly
0: wrong and lost and we work towards very optimistic, right? right?
1: That, that Christ makes a difference in the world that Christ can indeed make a difference. In culture. Yeah. And that, that's where I come back to. I think the danger again is, is let's be optimistic, but let's recognize that the optimism is with the gospel transforming human hearts yeah. and its mm-hmm. power to change a heart that's towards itself, towards a heart that's towards God and others. And I don't think it's institutions mm-hmm. are have the capacity to turn hearts. I think it's the gospel
2: and the gospel alone. This is my tradition and this is what I've heard spells more than not. And I'm, I'm still a believer in this. It's it. I think it's getting harder as culture has now taken a decided shift. People in culture get to uh, grow accustomed to the approaches that Christians have towards culture. And I think that they, they kind of see this one coming a mile away. Now it's getting harder and harder to be a transformer of culture and mm-hmm. a culture that has mm-hmm. decided to depart so far from yeah. uh, interesting uh, biblical truth. And, um, I don't want to be hypercritical here. Uh, again, this is my tradition and I've been a big believer in this for a long time. I still am to some extent in, in many, maybe microcultures versus culture in general. What I can see is that in this one is that you'll never be liked enough by culture mm. to truly make the difference. And, and, and in other words, I believe maybe the lie or the falsehood that goes along with this one is if I just okay. approach people mm-hmm. in a intellectual uh, yeah. loving yeah. manner holding to my conservative theology, they're going to respect me right and I will be able to speak into the world. And I think that worked for a lot of years. I mean, I think of Tim Keller when I think of this. Mm-hmm. Or C.S. Lewis. Or C.S. Lewis. But I also think of that's shifted Mm. for sure quite a bit. And it's like, if you don't agree with me, I don't respect you. Mm. Right. And there's this desire to silence people that don't agree in culture now. And um, so I'm not sure how much traction Christ transforming culture has unless it's actually Christ transforming culture through revival, through Mm. the revival of hearts. Yeah. Without his help, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we're pursuing these things. And I think, again, I think it's good to pursue, but we can't expect that it's going to, an approach in and of itself, apart from the power of God, it's going to do anything. You might not
1: have an invitation at the table, right? Right. So here you are, you're trying to transform culture, but if you can't sit at the table and have a conversation because you're excluded based on your point of view and canceled, as it were, then then how can you even begin to transform if you're not invited to a conversation? Yeah. And, and that kind of speaks towards a continuum. Yeah. You know, maybe in some situations you are in a space where you are the Christ against culture. We don't want I don't want to necessarily throw that all under the bus. I mean, part of Rob Dreher's book, which we somewhat identifies Christ against culture, is Hey, let's try to create sub communities within our culture right. that are countercultural and show another way of living that might be attractive to people that are right that are tired of sitting at a table that is no longer impacting their lives for the better or no longer mm-hmm. in a space where they're able to digest what they're eating at that table. And so maybe they say, Hey, there's another table over there mm-hmm. that's speaking, uh, and the Lord would call them to sit at the table mm-hmm. as it were.
2: So yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point of, of not being invited to sit at the table. I think that that's exactly it. That would be my critique, right? Uh, it's not a bad thing to want a seat at the table, as long as you hold to what you believe in. But I don't think that in the near future, we're going to be allowed to sit at the table at all.
1: I think I'm, I'm a little more pessimistic than you. I think yeah. we're in a space where we're not invited to the table yeah. and
0: knocking on the door a little bit. That's interesting. Cause I think I see it differently. I think we think of people in categories that would not invite us to the table.
1: Okay.
0: My experience is that when you begin to relate with individuals, Right. You're asking good questions. Good you have and I'm not saying it's always the case, but certainly consider, God continues this, we, to draw people to himself from the outer echelons that we yeah. would never have thought. I mean, how is it that a Rosaria Butterfield right. who's writing the curriculum I think for Syracuse LGBT community right now that was a long process of the Presbyterian minister who was working with her developing relationship spending time answering questions showing kindness showing love yeah she was invited to a table she was I mean literally (laughs) Literally. invited to a table Yeah. yeah and yet I mean her thought process was I'm going to use this guy to write a paper on promise keepers right So he was a means to an end for her. He was thinking this is not a project, but this is a person who has been burned by a lot of the evangelical community who read something that she wrote and lambasted her. And I'm going to show her mercy, grace, love, kindness, caring. But I think like with the table conversation we were just having, we look at everything from, you know, uh, whatever it is, a conservative news prism or and we think will never be able to have an inroad with that group. I, I know you're not saying no. that. No, uh, no, no, no. I, I, I guess so
1: what I'm scale. saying is, is that like, <clears throat> she literally was a part of, of perhaps a, a table in, in her community where, where a Christian voice was would not be welcome. Right. And she was invited to an alternative community that was outside of her community to sit at a table, and she found that what was at that table was something that was fed her soul. Yeah. where she saw a, an alternative community. And I guess I come back to part of it is that we need to show the world that we yeah. have a community where we're like Jesus said, right. and a new command I give you love one another by this, all men, women and children know you're my disciples if you love one another. So she was able to come into a family where that covenant relationship was being lived out and she felt the call into that same relationship. And so I hope I'm getting my understanding correctly on that. And that transformed her. The yeah. spirit of God transformed her. She was able to see a different community. Right. If you look through scripture, you
2: see transformers of culture. Mm. Joseph, mm. God placed him in a position and he transformed his culture. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: And no doubt about it. Daniel, same thing. Yeah. Daniel transformed multiple his culture times. multiple yeah. times. Yeah. Esther, she yeah. transformed her culture. Right. Um, Nehemiah very much transformed his own mm. culture. Yes. He had audience with the King. He, he was allowed to go rebuild the, Wall, so I'm not saying that, that God doesn't provide a seat today. Sure, no, right? But I think that we're at a point in culture where we used to have it's more less access. Common, yeah, I mean, sure. who's the last minister that you remember being like um, Billy Graham coming alongside president? Billy uh, Graham, having right, <laughs> Billy Graham is the last one who 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 really did that. You have right. multiple people who are trying to do that, but that kind of world is yeah. now, or even a president that would be. Open, having it right, open, allowing right, the table, or, right, or, yeah. or if they are, if they are, are consulting, it's not coming out in the media, right? They so don't want people to know popular. public because it's not popular. So in that sense, I'm saying there could be right, uh, yes. an opportunity to have a, a seat at the, at the national cultural table, but. I think that those opportunities are less and less now yeah. without God doing a doing a moment. With like I, think, I think we're talking Joseph, about two Joseph. different
0: things as well as is, and you, you uh, qualified it earlier. I think you called them micro micro cultures, And I think, but, I, but here's my thing is that, that everybody that's listening, where do they see themselves in this? Is it that they're trying to get, have a voice into the greater culture? I mean, I don't know how many Billy Graham's are listening to this right now. Yeah. Hopefully many. Okay. Oh, yeah. I need them. <laughs> but what I'm thinking is that the church tended to do, I think we assume everything was done on a large scale and all the old Testament characters that you just cited did things on a large scale. Right. But there's a sense in that the church has been called to do things on a very small scale yes. from individuals going out and doing things. And we do them together in community with the love and support of one another, of right. course, but there is, you know, don't feel like we have to set the bar at 12. Right. Set right. it at two or three. And that has ripple effects. You Rahab, know, it's, For example, the right. spies, she protected a couple of guys. Yeah.
1: It made a big difference, right? Yeah. You know?
0: and, and then through her line comes Christ the Redeemer. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking through, because, you know, I remember interviewing Rosaria and just thinking, my goodness, she's doing stuff on such a big scale. Like, scale that down for me right. so that I can at least feel like I'm accomplishing something and, and putting a step forward and making a contribution in the power of a, a loving God who seeks to redeem individuals and draw them to himself.
1: I, I think the problem is that people want to start a movement
0: and yes, and, and, and that's a good.
1: Point. And I think that we need to start thinking about our vocation as being holy. Mm-hmm. And if we are vocationally a fry cook or vocationally, a politician or vocationally a pastor or vocationally a real estate agent or a medical professional or a bus driver or whatever that is, you need to be and understand that Christ is in you. He is the hope of glory and the spirit of God is alive and well. And you are there in that space, not neutral. You're there walking with Christ and being his witness and people can start thinking of themselves in that way. And the gospel being the hope for all nations. Right. You know, I think that that's the way we transform culture, just coming back to that
0: and, that. and you're not alone in that, because I think if you feel like you're alone in one of these right. vocational right. positions, you can easily turn to a Christ
2: against culture persona right. that doesn't draw people in. Vocation is a, is a perfect example of a microculture. Yeah that has various different, uh, these models. I run into so many people who believe that to be a truly Christian vocation is to be a full-time vocational minister. <laughs> like, oh dear. Oh <laughs> no, 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 no. You're never more thankful than when a Christian surgeon actually does something for you and corrects a problem right. and is, is bringing excellence to in glorifying God in everything he does, whatever he does, glorifying God. And he truly believes that. And then, you know, he thinks that, He hasn't really served the kingdom, and he has. I I had a a pastor who actually turned to his dentist and said, "I thank you for being obedient to God's call in your life." And he's like, "What do you mean?" I so I like to evangelize people when they're in the office, and he's like, "That's not what I mean. I mean being a dentist." Yeah, Amen. And he, he didn't have a category for that, and I think that's what we're talking about. That's right. To not have a category for that, I think there's probably people listening right now going, "I don't have a category for that. I don't have a category for my vocation." In and of itself, with Christian excellence being anything, you know, more than just what I do to earn a living. Well, this
0: has stimulated my mind, and now I'm going to go drink a cup of coffee. (laughs) This is great. I think this is a really helpful conversation that that will hopefully edify people, but certainly gives people something to think about, whether they're in the car at this moment or uh, minding children or whatever it is. The Another most, aspect, the most right.
1: important cultural right, and I happiness. think that that needs
0: to be said. Trying Absolutely, uh, I know, I know. Certainly, a lot of stay-at-home moms who feel that, and stay-at-home dads mm-hmm. uh, that need to know that um, that is the most important thing. Especially as we think about influencing culture, right? You right. have your own culture. <laughs> the hand that <laughs> well, rocks the cradle is
2: the hand that rules the world.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's well, right. that's a fantastic reminder, and I just want to say thank you to. Jeff Volkowski and to Zach Carden. Thank you guys for both taking the time to uh, come and be part of Candid Conversations. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.